Emmons K. Chapwaye now presents The Wicked King, Part 2, from the Folk of the Air Trilogy by Holly Black. MK Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we finished the second book in the Folk of the Air trilogy by Holly Black. This book was called The Wicked King. Yeah. We're two-thirds of the way done. And I'm so glad this is a trilogy. Because I'm really enjoying living in this world, living in Fairyland, and we've I feel like we've been reading so many duologies lately. This was like a nice break from that and like a longer kind of like meatier juicier story it is and I think it's done a good job with giving enough of a different story in the second book but still familiar character like the fact that like it's a definitely a different book we're in a different time period we're in a different like end game kind of thing going on things have changed and we've set up for the third book to also be kind of a different situation so it doesn't feel too it doesn't have that middle book syndrome the way some trilogies do I would agree. And there weren't any, like, new characters that we had to learn about and meet. It's, like, same cast of characters, just new problems. <laughs> Plenty of problems and new depths for the, some of the characters, but... Yes. Oh, my gosh. But I also think... I think parts of it were a little slow for me mm. compared to the first one. But by the end of it, I was happy again, so... I would agree. I didn't like it as much as I liked the first one. I think because... At a certain point, I was just like, okay, I get that the end game is like you want to wear the crown, but I was just getting so mm-hmm. frustrated with Balakin, and like halfway through, I was just like, oh, can you please just go away? And then I got my wish granted. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think part of it is this is, again, there's no one to really root for. Everyone's kind of terrible, mm-hmm. and... You can have sympathy to some extent for some of the characters, but, like, I don't trust anybody, and so it makes it hard to, like, I don't even trust Jude to be honest with us, the reader, after the mm. first book, I guess. And so, just because we didn't know that she, what she was going to pull with putting the crown on Carden until it happened. And so I think, in some ways, I just read it, and I'm, like, so suspicious of everything and everyone and all their motives and trying to decipher their words and what they really mean, and it's almost, like, exhausting. Mm-hmm. But... I also really enjoyed the intrigue and there's so many like beautiful images and phrasing and it's still again this kind of complicated world that's very approachable like I don't feel behind because I don't know all these fairy rules even though there are still a lot of them (laughs) but but trying to remember who can glamour who or what it means to glamour who has control and like yeah some of that is a little exhausting (laughs) it's also funny too how um Uh, You can kind of see how the author, why she made some of the choices that she had to make. So, like, if there's a rule that fairies can glamour mortals, then, like, Dane putting that geese on her where she can't be glamoured was, like, a plot point that she needed to establish very early on or, like, nothing else would work in the book, you know? I just kind of like seeing instances where you're like, oh, I get why that author made that choice. It just, it makes me so frustrated with Jude when we know she's smarter than she like she's the one who's told us to be wary of all these things and then when she falls prey to them I'm kind of like Jude you know better yeah you should have seen that coming yeah like think these things through a little bit even if you think it's a good idea like don't just agree right away like give it sleep on it or something (laughs) I don't know but But it is fun. It's a fun world. And I like that it wasn't just kind of this happy ever after. She got the crown and now everything is good. And I like the different alliances and things. I still hate her sister. but um, Agreed. But yeah. Um, And speaking of glamouring, we did get to see Heather attend the wedding of Taryn. Because that was our question last week. We were like, do we really think Heather is going to come to this wedding? And that whole scene I thought was really interesting because it shed so much light on Vivi as a character and at first I was like really frustrated with her because 
She basically just didn't warn Heather at all that she was a fairy, sprung it on her in the last minute, and then didn't tell her about any of the rules that she has to follow or, like, all of the dangers that she could have faced if she wasn't careful. And, like, Jude is the one who has to set aside, set her aside and be like, listen, you know, keep this salt on you, keep these berries on you, don't dance, don't eat this, don't talk to this person. And I was just like, Vivi, why are you not looking out for your girlfriend? Like, this is not okay. Yeah, but it also just goes to paint this difference between, even though they were sisters and they were close, how different they grew up being mortal and fairy in Mm -hmm. fairyland. Like, even though she maybe kind of knew better, she didn't worry about the consequences the same way because she never had to live with them like Jude did. Yeah, and then also Jude is, like, reflecting at one point, and she's like, well, also, Taryn and I did as much as we could to hide the truth from Vivi. It's not like yeah. anytime something bad happens, they were going to their sister and being like, hey, a goblin bit my finger off. Like, what are we going to do about it? Like, they really hid a lot of the worst parts of being mortal from their sister. So part of me is like, okay, Vivi, you should have looked harder and you would have seen it. But the other half of me is like, well, they didn't want – to share that with their sister and now like this is the consequence like she doesn't understand how difficult it is to be in their situation well and even so one way she deals with that and we see the consequences of this at the end is she glamours heather to forget when she got turned into a cat because she mm-hmm. thinks that she's helping she thinks that that like traumatic memory is worse than what it feels like to be glamour because again she's never been in that situation and doesn't really mm-hmm. understand and jude says something even like before she gets pulled away Um, Where she's like, oh, I wish I had time to explain to her how terrible that experience is. But again, I think Vivi was maybe being a little bit ignorant. But I think she was actually trying to come from a place of, oh, this will help. I'll use my Mm -hmm. power to make it better for her without realizing... The harm she was doing. How bad the glamour was. And then it seems like she kind of handled it stupidly on the other side, too, because she undid the glamour. And tried to be honest with her. Later. Yeah. And then Heather left. But we knew that was going to be a bad situation because... And I love, but I love that dynamic because we see Jude and Taryn as mortals who grew up in fairyland and we've seen some humans who've been glamored into mm-hmm. being servants, but Heather is a really nice difference to all of that and how she comes into this world and like really doesn't understand the rules and doesn't know the background and how she reacts to it is like kind of helps put it all in perspective again because we're starting to get, it's sort of like, um... What's the book we read where, like, everything terrible was happening? Nevernight. Yes, Nevernight. It's sort of like you start to get used to the violence. Like, we're almost getting used to, like, the cruelty yeah. and the rules here. And Heather helps keep it in perspective a little bit. That, like, yeah, this right. is not normal and this is not good. And this is, like, why should... Why are they living here? We're almost being Vivi while reading it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and we also learn... Well, we learn who the great betrayer was, too. Did Ugh. you see that coming? I, you called yeah, it, right? I, I thought it was going to be one of the Court of Shadows people, just because they were the only people that Jude trusted at this point. And so I was like, well, for it to really hurt, it has to come from one of them. But I didn't know it was going to be Ghost. Yep. I thought it was going to be Bomb. Well, I don't know if it... I, I kind of get that it's Ghost, because Bomb and... Um, what the other one? What's the other one? Roach. Roach. Are kind of... They ha- kind of have a thing for each other. And so I was like, okay... If, one was going to betray Jude, it probably wouldn't be them because they're, it seems like they're on the same side. Yeah, well, and I just, it's always one of those things where, like, even if we accidentally guess things right, I'm never, or I'm rarely actually, this is exactly Mm -hmm. what I predicted. So I also, after you said it, I was kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. They're one of the few people she trusts. They haven't betrayed her already. It's going to be one of them. But I wasn't expecting it to happen the way it did still. I guess. I don't know what I was expecting necessarily, but I thought we would like uncover betrayal, but not that like it would be semi-successful first. That which like sounds like such a weird distinction, but the fact that she like fell into the trap and got, and like she'd been warned so many times like not Mm -hmm. to go alone and not to do all this stuff. And I kept thinking all these other moments. I was like, oh, she's about to be betrayed. Oh, Mm -hmm. she's about to be betrayed. But with all the action happening there, I almost like was also shocked even though I was expecting it at the same time I thought it was gonna happen after she got those earrings and then she's riding back to Maddox's estate and those riders go after mm-hmm. her I thought somehow that was gonna be the great betrayal and I was like oh my gosh like someone sent these riders to try and kill her 
But then we learned it was just Locke again. <laughs> well, and I thought someone was going to, like, manipulate Cardin or manipulate her rule. I didn't think she, someone was going to, like, legitimately kidnap her. <laughs> right, I know. And then, like, but I, okay, I kind of like that they did just because I was glad that we got to see the undersea because it's so cool. It was really cool and really creepy. And, like, everything I think about mermaids now that I've read some <laughs> scary legends about them. <laughs> It made me really hungry for sushi, too. Like, they kept talking about how they were eating, like, all this delicious raw fish and oysters, and it made me hungry. <laughs> but then she felt sick and wretched afterwards, didn't yeah. she? It didn't make me hungry at all. <laughs> I was just thinking about being dehydrated with salt water. and. Uh, but I love how she has to pretend that she's glamored. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. What I kept thinking was going to happen was that they would, like, tell her something, but not in the glamour voice, like, just in a regular voice, and mm-hmm. she wouldn't be able to tell and would do it and would, like, give away that she wasn't glamoured or something. Oh. But that never happened. And maybe that's not even obvious, because then later when Cardin was, like, helping her prove that she couldn't be glamoured, it seemed very clear when he was glamouring her versus just talking to her regularly. Yeah. So, I don't know. I kept thinking that Balakin was going to catch on that she wasn't glamored when she was in the undersea and I kept expecting him and he kind of did because he he asks her to kiss him and I was like Mm -hmm. really nervous that it was going to go further and I mean it was bad enough and he was like kiss me like I'm Cardin and she had to like pretend ugh but I kept thinking he was gonna like go further and further and further yeah there were just some weird moments yeah and now he's dead it's also one of these we like get to kind of know a character and I still haven't decided if they're more good or more bad. I mean, he was pretty bad, but he also was sort of a pawn in this game, and then now he's dead. <laughs> like, okay. And, I mean, what a way to die, too. Like, I thought that was actually kind of terrible on Jude's part, because, I mean, she plays him, right? Because she... Which was smart. Yeah, which was super smart. So she needed the antidote because someone poisons Cardin. Cardin. Mm-hmm. I forget who it was. And he was like, oh, I'll give you the antidote if you bring me the crown. And I love that she, you know, tricks him and gets the antidote anyway. But then he draws his sword on her, like, to duel. And she stabs him right when he's surrendering. Like, she raises her sword and he's like, hold, I, sur- uh, I surrender. And she stabs him in the neck. And I was just like, ooh, yeah. dude, like... But it was also, I mean, it kind of reminds me, remember when her and Taryn were sword fighting and Vivi tried to glamour them into stopping and Taryn stopped and she almost couldn't stop herself because it wasn't like the mind control thing. And part of me is like, when you're in that momentum and you've already kind of committed to this like stabbing action and you think your life's at stake, like, I don't know how much she could have changed her mind. Yeah, that's true. There's just something like not great about killing a man yeah. who's surrendering I don't know <laughs> no I agree but he didn't even get it all the way out it was a little bit like I don't know I can just imagine like I'm thinking more like I guess it was a knife so you would think it'd be easier to pull away but I'm thinking like someone with like an axe over their head bringing it down and like right before mm-hmm. it hits someone being like stop I give in and it's like Here the gravity's lies. already working against you yeah yeah but it does make it trickier in terms of well sh- we knew that Cardin didn't want him dead and I still feel mm-hmm. like she had other choices before she got into that duel a little bit in terms of getting away or calling additional people around or forcing him to wait until she had a real sword or something like that. But also, keep in mind, she'd just been tortured for a month and was, like, True. starved and he obviously didn't care about honor and was going to ki- – like, she has so few choices in some ways that – And she's tr- being controlled by so many sides, you know? Like, Balakin was like – Promise me you'll kill Cardin, and then Lord Roybens or whatever the Court of Termites was like, you have to call in my favor, and I want you to kill Balakin. So like, she was under a lot of stress. I will give her that. Yeah, but this is again where it's just like, I wish she thought through some of her decisions a little bit more. That one maybe was hard because there was so much that had to be decided in the moment. But the agreeing to take Cardin out of her spell and marry Mm -hmm. him. Definitely should have thought about that one just a little longer. We called that, too, last time. Remember? We were like, ooh, what if she marries him and becomes the queen of fairy? Like, yeah. that would be one way to keep power. Again, that's where I got it, or we got it, like, partially right, but that's not exactly what I was imagining when I predicted that. <laughs> In terms of him tricking her, I thought she was going to trick him. So, okay, the tricking part. 
Do you think he had planned to trick her the whole time, like, before he asked her to marry him? Or did you think he, he banished her once he knew that she killed Balakin? Like, once he found out she killed his brother? I think finding out that she killed his brother maybe was, like, the final straw to convince him to do it and to do it then. But I don't think he came up with that idea. I think when he first made the deal he had thoughts of getting her away somehow and like not making Mm. the marriage super public and because that's kind of how he gets because you can technically they are married but because there were no witnesses and everyone thinks it's like such a ridiculous idea (laughs) she can't even like prove it because there's not like a document or a witness or a I don't know anything like that and I sort of think because even though they might have done their vows in private they could have still made it more of a public thing that it was happening or it had happened and that's what she should have insisted on before she removed the whatchamacallit. Yeah, I think he prob he probably asked her to marry him to get her to trust him. And was like, Okay, I don't need this this geese on him anymore yeah. or this I don't need to bind him anymore because I'm a ruler in my own right. So yeah. Well, there's so many strategy people and he's one of them and he knew what he like he had very few things he could offer her that would make her willing to give it up and I think he saw an opportunity and seized it just to be free from her control. And it's kind of interesting because like at the end of the first book it was like one point for Jude, right? Cuz mm-hmm. she put the crown on Cardin and and tricked him and now it's at the end of book two he has a one-up on her like he tricked her so now I'm super curious about book three I'm like who's gonna win I know or are they finally gonna actually come together I kind of hope they do part of me likes it because now that they've betrayed each other I sort of feel like they're back on an even playing field if that makes sense yeah I agree and and she's totally burned bridges with Maddox too at this point um because that was our other question like will she ever work with Maddox again and she did a little bit in the beginning of this book but again the trust was already broken yeah mm-hmm. the trust is broken and I also love that part where um he says he says something like we're going to join forces to bring down the queen of the undersea but afterwards it's going to be the two of us staring at each other across a chessboard and he was like I will destroy you it was such an interesting moment too because that's kind of also where he recognized like, in the same moment that he completely sort of turns his back on her, he recognizes and sort of respects her mm-hmm. ability to strategize and stuff. Like, he sort of realizes that she didn't just, like, right. seduce the king or whatever. Or, you know, I don't know. Just, like, it, he sort of finally respects her, and it's just sad that that's, that's what happens. Okay, but let's talk about Taryn for a minute. Because... She's terrible. She's the worst. And I still can't f- 100% figure her out. I mm-hmm. And I forgot to read the lost sister short story or or whatever did you read that one i read like half of it i found a free version online and it only went up to a certain point and then it ended in the middle of sentence (laughs) (laughs) okay well i didn't read it anyways but i just i still feel like there i don't like her right now i don't really know how she could redeem herself but i still feel like there's something about her i don't understand and especially given she's human i really want to so i hope in the third book even if she doesn't like come all the way around i sort of get her more because right now I just don't even understand how she's making her choices and her alliances and all of that given that she's also mortal this is her twin that like a lot of the terrible things that have happened to Jude are actually because of Taryn Mm -hmm. and her choices and not because Jude did something to Taryn and I think she's like made the wrong call with Locke maybe her picking Maddox kind of makes sense but turning on her sister doesn't really I don't know so I just have like so many questions and I really want I feel like she's one of the characters who hasn't actually been flushed out as much as some of the other ones and it makes me so curious when we finally get more of her motivation I agree and part of me thinks that maybe she believes that she can't afford to piss off Maddox because she will never best him you know, mm-hmm. so it's like the best she can hope for is his loyalty and his love. So she's backing him because I think she has more faith in him, honestly, than her sister. And she wants to kind of like retain his favor. And I, but I almost wish earlier or in the first book, she kind of took this, I just want to stay out of it approach, which also made me frustrated. Mm-hmm. But it, like, bothers me that she's now gotten involved against her sister, like pretending to be Jude and asking Cardin to release him from his or release Maddox from his like duty to the crown Mm -hmm. and like let half his troops go feels like a whole different level of betrayal than when she almost let her sister die because she didn't wake her up from a nap which was also pretty bad (laughs) do you think Madden threatened her in any way 
Because I want to believe that, like, she did this because she didn't have another choice, or if she refused, it would lead to a worse outcome. Like, she's such a pawn. I kind of am thinking maybe Maddox threatened her in some way. So I think, if anything, Locke is manipulating her. Yeah. So whether Locke is working with Maddox, or whether Locke is just trying to stir the pot, or whatever, I think it's his influence more than Maddox's influence that is making her act in certain ways. Ugh. I don't understand her, why she's so infatuated with him. I do not get it. And your own sister, what is wrong with you? We have to learn something about her. Like, there has to have been something going on all this time. Or otherwise, she's just a terrible, bratty character and she should not live to see the end of the trilogy. (laughs) I really, again, I don't know if it'll fully redeem her, but I just want to understand her motivations more. Even if I don't 100% agree with them right now, I just don't get it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no explanation right now, and I really want one. (laughs) Yeah, especially because, you know, I think sibling relationships in general are always interesting, but especially sister relationships, because Mm -hmm. I have two sisters, and... And I have a sister, yeah. (laughs) As much as they drive me crazy, I would never do some of this stuff. And I guess I keep, like, the sword fight, okay, that makes sense, but then they should make peace. Or, like, some of the stuff I get, but then it's like I'm not getting the flip side of the relationship, where it's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, they drive you crazy, but at the end of the day... They're your sister. you'd also, like, give a kidney for them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) So we'll see. And also Vivi, I mean, I guess we kind of talked about this a little bit, that she, in some ways, just doesn't understand what her sisters have gone through. But in other ways, I am also frustrated with her for not trying harder or something. Like, the fact that she just, like, Mm -hmm. lives in the mortal world and, like, her sisters are at such odds and some of this other stuff and she like just stays so out of it as the oldest sister i'm kind of frustrated with her too a little bit but not to the same extent yeah yeah well now it ends though with um everyone's kind of in the mortal world that's true v and oak and now jude's there okay wait let's talk about how so i know she got banished by Cardin, but that banishment doesn't Mm -hmm. like she's not required to follow that the issue was that they physically removed her from fairy because the guards followed that order and that she can't get back to fairy because she has no magic is that what's going on i think it means that so the way they phrased it was interesting because he he said that he was going to banish jude to the mortal world until the crown chooses to pardon her yes and so I was like, hmm, maybe, like, we think he tricked her and he's doing this to get her out of the way, but he is the crown, so he has the power to pardon her, and I'm thinking, I don't know, I'm thinking maybe he'll do that sooner rather than later. Or to that point, isn't she the crown? I guess Because so. she's already a queen. Maybe it was, maybe he did, to your point. Yeah, but no one knows that. Yeah, but maybe there's somehow, he did word it in a way that if she figures it out, she can, like come back and he'll be like yeah I gave you the power all along or something stupid <laughs> yeah like if she forgives herself for killing Balakin if she pardons herself <laughs> I don't know I don't know I would just stay you know my thoughts I would just stay there in the mortal world watching my did you catch that they were watching she was watching Yuri on Ice at the yeah. end <laughs> I was dying I was like oh my gosh she is watching Yuri on Ice because <laughs> there's subtitles and figure skating and I was like that was such a great little insert that probably not everyone caught, but I love it that I did. <laughs> yes, I love those. I love any time we get a glimpse of the human world. Like even when before Heather knew everything and they were, she kept being like, oh, like, are all our uh-huh. bags going to fit in the car? And like Vivi has been like avoiding telling her anything, but like can't lie. And just some of those yeah. funny moments were great. I, and then, like, little Oak, who was, like, so excited to, like, reveal that he had horns. Yeah. And he was like, surprise, we're magic. <laughs> How old is he again? I think he's seven. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I think of him as, like, a kid, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's little. So do you think that she's going to find favor with Lord Roybin now that she fulfilled his favor and killed Balakin? Okay, well... I don't know, because who do you... Do you think Maddox is going to go against Cardin? Yes. And but so... I don't know why, because, like, who's who's aligning themselves with Orla in the Undersea? Because she attacked the Court of Termites. But she just agreed to a truce, and she's sworn to it now, right? Because she yeah. is a fairy. So is she, like, a no longer a threat? Are we not going to really see her in the next book? Well, I think... I don't, I, I don't know. That's a good question because, like, now Nicasia is the ambassador. Yep. I'm sure she'll keep meddling because she's still in love with Cardin. And we're not entirely sure how he feels. 
I guess it is a truce. Yeah. I mean, she's not going to flood the land when her daughter's on mm-hmm. it. But I feel like Lord Royven is very upset that Cardin allowed her to attack him, essentially, in exchange for letting Jude go. So I'm just curious, like... And I don't know, and I don't know what Maddox is planning. There's just, there's a lot of questions still. I feel like we're going to have war, but it's going to be on land between Maddox and Cardin. And I don't know how Royben's going to fit into it as far as the alliances. I do think he's going to make an appearance, but I'm not sure exactly how. Because I think in some ways, Cardin can say, well, Bellican got killed, which is part of the debt. Mm-hmm. whether Cardin agreed to it or not. And then Cardin can also say, like, I'm, I'm sorry, but now I've made peace with the water and you're protected from here on out. Like, I feel like he could use the diplomatic way. Like, yeah. Because the Prince of Termites doesn't necessarily want to go to war, although he does kind of have the bloodlust thing going on. And do we think there's really a new crown? Do we think Grimson, this, like, magical blacksmith, made a new crown? Well, honestly, why have we never thought about this before? If I were the... <laughs> king and there was one magical creature on earth that could create a crown to make someone as powerful as me or whatever i would have totally killed that guy if i if i were a fairy who <laughs> kills without second thought anyways but i mean like Agreed. that would seem like like i'm kind of surprised he's managed to live this long if he was always able to make another crown mm-hmm. i agree but part of me thinks he he definitely has something to offer mm-hmm. and he's gonna come back around but i don't know if it's another crown or if he has some other trick up his sleeve i'm so excited to find out what happens did you do any research this week i did a little bit so i feel like i say that every single time i'm like not very much i looked up okay so Cardin and jude got married but nobody knows about it and they did vows in private so technically she's the queen but isn't really being recognized as queen yet so i was looking up royal women who married for love against like political alliance Ooh, I love that. requirements or whatever that seems like a weird way to say that but basically who broke tradition or didn't follow whoever was telling them they had to marry someone specific and married for love and in a lot of cases were shunned for it or whatever <laughs> so the first was Catherine de Valois V-A-L-O-I-S oh Valois Valois that was in um, Rain. Yeah, part of the problem is, because Rain is like partially fictionalized and partially true, and I like forget which parts were real. <laughs> um, the magic parts aren't real. <laughs> well, yes, I know that much. But even like, some people like lived longer than they were supposed to, and yeah. like some of that stuff. And some of the romance, I think, wasn't entirely true. Anyways, so she <laughs> married Henry V as part of the 1420 Treaty of Troyes, which was supposed to end the Hundred Year War. And their son was supposed to be the king of France and England. And I don't know. There's some suspicion that she wasn't super happy about the marriage anyways because he was, like, a lot older and there had been, like, a lot of issues between their countries and whatnot. But he was really excited to marry her because she was really pretty and she became pregnant with his son. And after the son was born, Mm. before the father even came back, he died of, I think it was dysentery, but I forget now. Oh, no. So her son was the new king, but he obviously was too young to rule So there was a Regency Council set up to rule England and France Mm. at the time. And the council wanted to, or were technically, like, didn't want her to remarry against their will, basically. So I guess there had been, in the 13th century, King John's widow, Isabella, had a second marriage that produced nine children who, like, caused a lot of dissension because they challenged, like, their their half-sibling, who was the original heir, and stuff. So they were like worried about additional half siblings to the king causing issues down the road. So mm. what they said was that she couldn't get married until the king gave his consent as an adult. So obviously he was like oh, a toddler and really young, yeah. Yeah. But Catherine, there was someone in her household who was appointed something. There were different things if he was her steward or her page or some other role in the household, but his name was Ooh. Owen Tudor. Yeah, and he, oh, he wasn't a commoner. He wasn't a commoner, but he wasn't royal. And there were a lot of like romantic tales told about them. So like supposedly, like she first noticed him when they were dancing and he slipped and like landed in her lap and all this stuff happened <laughs> and they claimed that they got married in secret. So Ooh. they there's like no documentation in the date of their marriage or whether there was a ceremony and all of that is like 
unknown and disputed in history, but they decided that they were husband and wife and largely like the law didn't dispute that at the time, if that makes sense. Okay. But because of the Parliamentary Act that required royal consent, they were still criminals and so would be punished even though their marriage wasn't invalidated as a result of that. But they had four children together. Henry VI became really close to his half-siblings and his half-brother Edmund married Margaret Beaufort and founded the Tudor dynasty. So that's kind of interesting. And so Catherine was ultimately banished and because of her indiscretion and died somewhere out there. But Owen lived to be like 60 years old. And his last words, he was executed at 60 after the Battle of Mortimer's Cross. But his last words were, that head shall lie on the stock that was wont to lie on Queen Catherine's lap. (laughs) But it's funny because most of these stories are like second marriages and marriages for love that ended up more or less happy. Like, yes, they were banished, but they still, like... Had some time together. Yeah, and they had multiple children, and there were some issues, but, like, again, even though the marriage was in secret and there's no, no documentation, they were largely considered married by everyone else. Hmm. Um, let's see. Um, why, why was he executed? It just said he was executed by the Yorkists after the 1461 <laughs> Battle oh, of okay. Mortimer's Cross. Gotcha. So They were just beheading everyone those days. <laughs> uh, so Henry V's brother john the duke of bedford married jacqueta de saint paul sounds french and they were married for two years before he died and then she married a man from his household sir richard woodville um and they so i think they had 14 children together although it's a little bit unclear but again they had um too many children yeah well that was what you did back in the 1400s what else was there to do i'm just kidding (laughs) but her daughter was Elizabeth, who married Edward IV and became queen, which was also considered, like, by the public to be marrying out of rank. So there was, like, a lot of... She was, like, resented by a lot of other noble families oh. who didn't like how she was being recognized in court and thought she, like, married outside her station kind of thing. But it was a love match? It was a love match, mm-hmm. supposedly. Um, Mary Tudor, the French queen, is on this list because... She was supposed to marry Charles, and then he basically said she's too old for him. Oh, oh my God. Because he was 14 and she was 18. Okay, yep, that's too old. <laughs> and then somehow, like, a secret truce was made, and she ended up marrying the widowed Louis, but she claimed that Henry had promised she could choose her second husband for herself, and mm. so... When he died three months after their marriage, she quickly mar- married Charles Brandon, who was that sounds the familiar. son of Henry VII's standard bearer oh. <laughs> and orphaned when his father was killed. And so although he had been brought up at court and like was a good friend and like jousting companion to Henry, he wasn't actually like a noble person or right. whatever and was not considered a suitable spouse for the king's sister. Ooh. So, they were fined. Scandalous. They were fined! <laughs> <laughs> and they lived for 18 years together. Oh, oh good. A happy ending. Yeah. I think most of them were happy, except for Lady Mary Grey was not the happiest. Hers was kind of sad. So, she was born in 1545, and she had um, scoliosis and was extremely short. And made her, like, physical disabilities made her kind of criticized in mm-hmm. court mm-hmm. and thought lesser of and things like that. Um, so it's kind of funny. She, I, I, there's like speculation basically that she figured she didn't really matter so she could do whatever she wanted. Oh, wow. And she ended up marrying Thomas Keyes, who was the tallest person at court, which is especially oh, funny because so Mary cute. was extremely short and he was a widower. So she was 19 and he was 40 and had several children that he had fathered with his first wife. And he also like wasn't a very high rank. He was in charge of palace security, but he wasn't like a noble. And it said that he gave her the ring from his finger and a chain with a mother of pearl pendant on it and they were married and made sure that there were witnesses present but after a month their secret leaked so it was still a secret marriage but there were like people who knew to make it legit and queen elizabeth like was super mad and she had keys thrown into prison and mary placed under house arrest and they never saw each other again so they had one month together before this happened oh my god and this was in 1565 so he stayed in prison until 1570 um and then was permitted to return to kent but he died within a year (gasps) 
and Mary was forbidden from bringing up his orphan children. So oh she was God. like confined to the house. And it wasn't until 1577 that she was allowed back to court. And then she died in 1578. So even that was very short-lived. That's crazy that going against or, or like marrying someone who someone didn't approve of could earn you that kind of a punishment. Yeah. Well, and it does make you think about, and I think we've talked about this before and like lots of movies and stuff talk about it. And even in this book, Carden kind of brings it up. But just because you're royal and have so many opportunities doesn't really mean your life is all that great. Yeah. Or, you know, that like, like in some ways it would be nice to be actually not important yeah. at all and be able to marry who you want to marry and not have to worry about it. And it, in a lot of cases, these people, you know, knew some of the risks at least and were willing to pay a fine or willing to be banished from court or whatever. But yeah, Down Mary really got yeah. the short end of the stick. Poor thing. <laughs> yeah. And there were some more stories, but they were all kind of similar in terms of a lot of them were these second marriages or like people who kind of were close, but not too close. And they did what they could to be happy yeah especially if your alternative is just to be a pawn used for like some political alliance well and that's why people would get so mad because they were like that you know they felt like it was their right to marry off their sister or daughter or cousin or whatever for their own purposes often to old men with old gross men illnesses and yeah (laughs) lots of land yep but some of these stories were still interesting and i'd read more detail again some of them are in rain or referenced elsewhere but (laughs) I couldn't remember what was true from Rain and what wasn't, so it was still fun to read. <laughs> and not all our listeners have watched it, although you all should. It's quite good. It holds up, for sure. <laughs> what about you? What did you research this week? Okay, well, I, like I said, was very horrified by Jude killing Balakin when he was about to surrender. Yes. So I started researching um, stories of people who were about to surrender and then were killed, but then that got depressing. Yeah. So instead, I, re- I found an article that was soldiers who absolutely refused to surrender. <laughs> okay. And some of them are actually kind of funny. Okay, let's hear some funny ones. Okay. So the first one is Lieutenant Hiru Onoda. So he was a Japanese intelligence officer. Okay. And basically, he was dispatched to the Philippine island of Lubang in 1944, and he was told not to surrender under any circumstances. (laughs) And then when the Allied forces captured Lubang in 1945, he and a couple of their soldiers basically ran away into the jungle, and they continued to wage guerrilla warfare for the next several years. And they ended up killing 30 Filipinos during their multiple shootouts. Oh my goodness. So eventually all of his companions surrendered or were killed. And so he was the only one left by by 1972. Oh my goodness. (laughs) And he still refused to surrender. And he kept like evading the Philippine army and like trying to kill people. And eventually like the Japanese army themselves... The government tried to track him down, and they were like, like sent out search parties to try and locate him. And they were dropping leaflets all around the jungle, telling him <laughs> that the war was over <laughs> in 1974. But he didn't believe them because he thought that they were attempts to like trick him into surrendering. Well, wouldn't he at some point need to check in with his officers, anyways? <laughs> well, what happened was. On March 1974, nearly 30 years after the war ended, (laughs) sorry, I can't stop laughing, his former commanding officer, the one who gave him the order to not surrender under any circumstances, he finally traveled to the island, found him, and ordered him to stop fighting. Oh my goodness. And he was 51. (laughs) What was he doing? I mean, like, I get that he was fighting, but, like, how was he even surviving by himself for that long in the jungle? I don't know. <laughs> That's crazy. That I just love that they were, like, the Japanese army who dispatched him in the first place were, like, dropping off leaflets being like, the war is over. Onoda, go home. Can you imagine just, like, years after a war, like, walking out to your front yard and, like, there's a helicopter flying over, dropping pamphlets, and you, like, grab one, and it's like, hello, sir, FYI, the war is over, and you're like, no, duh, I it's been over for a while, or, like, what yeah. war are they talking about now? Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, man. Maybe he was glamored like the fairies and couldn't surrender until he was explicitly given yeah. instructions. He had to dance until he died. <laughs> okay, so Operation Hadegen. Um, this was a German expedition where people were sent to establish a meteorological station on the Norwegian archipelago of Svalbard. In, okay, so in September of 1944, there was an 11-man crew that gathered to establish the station. Okay. Their mes- their mission was, like, really top secret, though. And it was... <laughs> Sorry, these stories are so funny. It was so top secret that after the collapse of um, the Nazi government, they forgot about them. <laughs> they, like, forgot that they sent these men to this island. And eventually they, like remembered that they were there so they sent them um a message to say that the war had ended but the problem was they ended up being marooned in the arctic circle and they didn't have any help because they lost contact with the german forces oh my goodness so they spent the next four months in like freezing temperatures polar bear attacks um just like crazy crazy arctic conditions Finally, in September 1945, the Norwegians overheard, like, some of their distress calls, so they sent a boat to the island to try and get them, Mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting. So they finally reached these last German soldiers, and when they laid down their weapons, they were the last armed German soldiers to surrender during World War II. And when when was this? How late was this? Uh, September 1945. Oh my goodness. It was kind of interesting because even though they were, um, like, they were being tried as criminals, essentially, because they were Nazis, Mm -hmm. they were so relieved to be rescued that they held a celebratory feast for the people who captured them, (laughs) because they were just so glad to be off the island. That's fair. I would be ready to leave, too. Okay, the last one is about the Confederate raiding vessel, the CSS Shenandoah. Okay. So, this ship is known for being um, the vessel that fired the final shots of the Civil War. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting. So the mission of the ship, it was a Confederate vessel. The mission was to seek out and destroy Union commerce on the high seas. Okay. So there was um, a captain, James Waddell. He commanded the Shenandoah, and he journeyed pretty much halfway around the world and he went from um he went to australia and then entered the pacific ocean sailed north to the bering sea and then basically started destroying american whaling fleets okay um they seized six vessels burned 32 and then captured over a thousand prisoners oh my goodness the only problem with this was they had been traveling for so long that they didn't realize that their raid took place after the collapse of the Confederacy. <laughs> so he didn't learn, Captain Waddle didn't learn that the Confederacy had collapsed until August 2nd, 1965. And he realized that if word ever got out of what they did, he and all of his men would be tried as pirates. Huh. Because if they were apprehended by the U.S. Navy, like, they were not in a time of war at the time of all this raiding, so they would have been held as pirates. Oh, my goodness. Accidental pirate prince. (laughs) Yeah, they're accidental (laughs) pirates. I love them. So what he did was he was like, well, we'll just keep sailing. So they went, like, around the southern tip of South Africa, and then they tried to sail for England. And because he traveled around so much trying to avoid capture, he became the only Confederate vessel to complete a circumnavigation of the globe. <laughs> and then fi- I love these, like, accidental records set by this guy, this pirate. <laughs> and then eventually he um, turned, they turned themselves in to British authorities on November 6th, 1865. And that was seven months after uh, Robert E. Lee surrendered. I don't know why, I just found them so funny. That is so funny. And I probably because there's a pirate involved, I'm just imagining him a certain way as an mm-hmm. accidental pirate prince. But yeah, that's a great story. These are hilarious. I kind of wish that like as he continued his travel, he just like embraced being a pirate more and more and more. And by the yeah. time he got to England, he had like a parrot and a wooden leg and an eye patch. <laughs> Maybe a hook for a hand. A parrot, yep. <laughs> oh man. That's great. So there are benefits to being out of the loop, is what I'm learning. Yeah, I mean... You can go down in the record books and be mm-hmm. talked about on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's one way to fame. 
So should we talk about the next, the last book in this trilogy? <laughs> yeah. First, any predictions for the last book? I think that Cardin and Jude are going to end up together. Do you think they will be king and queen happily of fairy? Mm-hmm. And I think Oak will be their heir. And Maddox will be cool with it or dead? Dead. I think Maddox's going to die. Okay. And what about Taryn? Ugh. I hope Taryn and Maddox, if not die together, are like banished together somewhere. Ooh, this is what I think is going to happen. Okay. I think at some point Jude is going to get some nasty scar on her face. Ooh. And that's how, they, even though they're twins, they won't be mistaken as each other anymore. But that doesn't really solve the actual problem of Taryn being evil. Yeah. Um, but that's my new guess. Um, okay. Yeah, I guess I could see them ending up together. Because, again, we're not going to, at the end of this book, I don't imagine, like, ten years passing and Oak coming back. But I also sort of feel like, how do you even end this book? Because even if they make peace, it's just sort of this, now we're in this thing where it's like it's harder to maintain power than it is to steal power isn't that always going to be the case unless they like retire and move to i don't know unless they give up the power maybe if they choose each other over the power maybe maddock ends up king and they go off together oh i hope maddock doesn't become (laughs) king but i do like the idea of giving up power because neither like cardin doesn't want to be king and i don't really think jude i don't know if she wants to or not i think she likes the idea of having power in fairy but i don't know if she wants to be queen necessarily yeah. but again who else would be in charge if not them and or Matic and or oak they dissolve the monarchy <laughs> maybe they end up back in the human world she gets glamored and forgets all of this ever happened just kidding oh gosh that'd be terrible heather will come back to vivi and they'll be happy heather and vivi can be queen and queen i like that idea no i want them to stay far away i like that they chose not to be involved <laughs> and i hope they continue to do that and again, these are quick books, so I think we're going to have more betrayal and more tricks, and then it'll somehow be a happy ending, even though I'm not sure what that looks like. I would like some kind of happy ending. Yeah, I agree. Okay, let's talk about this, this third book. Okay. So it is called The Queen of Nothing. Oh, we should have like considered the title before we made our predictions. You mean for the last time or this time? For this time, because The Queen of Nothing, so I feel like she's not going to be queen. Or is it also going to be like, now where she's technically the queen but it doesn't matter because nobody knows it and she's not there oh yeah that's probably it you're right (laughs) (laughs) okay we're gonna read up to part two it was a nice clean break but also wasn't what was the prediction about her wasn't it that she destroys fairyland or something wasn't that what her mom found out that her kid yeah she is a weapon oh weapon yeah so that hasn't full, I guess it's kind of come true, but there also could be more to that to come. So maybe she does destroy the monarchy. Maybe. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, sorry, go on. I just noticed the, um, I love reading four or dedications in books. And this one is dedicated to Lee Bardugo. Ooh. Who never lets me get away with anything. I like that. Love it. <laughs> Let's hang out with them. They're friends. We're friends. It makes sense. That'd be so cool. <laughs> also, there are some pretty cool maps in these books. We haven't really talked about the maps, but... There are some cool animals in this one and some funny people with spears riding horses. Oh, there's a fuck. Well, and there's a new island now because Cardin called one out of the sea. Oh, yeah. The Isle of Ash, right? Yeah. Okay. Do you want me to read the back of this? Yes, please. Okay. He will be the destruction of the crown and the ruination of the throne. Power is much easier to acquire than... Wait, who is he? Probably Cardin. Or is it Oak? Or Matic? No. It's Cardin. Okay, go on. (laughs) Power is much easier to acquire than it is to hold on to. Jude learned this lesson when she released her control over the wicked king Cardin in exchange for immeasurable power. Now as the exiled mortal queen of fairy, Jude is left reeling from Cardin's betrayal. She bides her time, determines to reclaim everything he took from her. Opportunity arrives in the form of her deceptive twin sister Taryn, whose mortal life is in peril. Good. Don't care. Wait, but that's a weird wording. Her mortal life? Does that mean she's about to become a fairy? Maybe. Ugh. I bet that's it. Ugh. I don't want that. Jude must risk venturing back into the treacherous fairy court and confront her lingering feelings for Cardin if she wishes to save her sister. But Elfem is not as she left it. War is brewing. As Jude slips deep within enemy lines, she becomes ensnared in the conflict's bloody politics. And when a terrible curse is unleashed, panic spreads throughout the land, forcing her to choose between her ambition and her humanity. Ooh, 
Hmm. A lot going on. A curse? Curses. Interesting. That's new. We haven't seen any hints of that yet, I don't think. No, we haven't. But it doesn't seem like that's going to end well. Also, really? You're going to go back and save your sister who did nothing for you? Come on. Well, because she's a good sister. You always pick your sister. That's the point. That makes sense to me that Jude would do that. What I want to know is if Taryn ever chooses her sister over everything else. Well, maybe they'll have like a big reconciliation. Maybe. But there has to be, it has to be a huge reconciliation because I don't trust her even if she tries to make peace. Like she really has to make a choice and an action. She has to divorce Locke and choose her sister and then maybe kill Locke for good measure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you have a joke for me this week? I do. So this joke is from Josh, one of our fans. (laughs) Thanks, Josh. Why did Stalin only write in lowercase letters? Ooh, uh, I don't know. He was afraid of capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) That's really good. I like that. I love that when fans send us stuff. (laughs) And not just because I don't have to look something up myself. That's mainly why I like it. (laughs) Um, Okay, if you guys want to get in touch with us, send us some jokes. Save us from doing our own joke research. You can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at mnktalkya. Let's keep reading. Let's finish out this trilogy. Can't wait. Up to part two, you said, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.